I don't remember um, exactly when it was, but uh, my family was sitting around the dinner table and we were having a family Bible time. And as we were talking, I mentioned to the children that God commands us to be thankful in all circumstances. You, know, you have 1 Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Or you have Ephesians 5.20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and while I mentioned that First Thessalonians passage, one of my sons chimed in saying, wait a second, we're supposed to be thankful for everything that happens? And he struggled with this because immediately he thought about people's sins and injustices in the world around us. Are we supposed to be thankful that people disobey God? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, people. Dishonor him. Maybe that's a thought that's entered your mind before when you think of giving thanks in all circumstances. You think about trials and difficulties in your own life. And no matter how much you dress up on Sunday, there are certain circumstances that you've either gone through or maybe even are currently going through. And it still burdens you. And when you think about 1 Thessalonians, you say, there is no way I could be thankful for everything. And so maybe you do what a man that I met once did. It was over a different situation, but I was preaching a message and I was preaching on a certain topic that this guy didn't like. And he had been hurt previously because of a certain situation and that kind of applied to that Bible verse that I was preaching on. And so after the sermon, this elderly gentleman said to me, you want to know what I did when you mentioned that verse? Sure. And he said, I drew a line off to the side of my Bible and wrote, no. You know, sometimes that's what we can feel like when we read passages of Scripture that we don't like. In everything, give thanks. That can be some of you here in this room. But there's other responses that people could have when they hear that. Some people could hear this and say, yes, that sounds so wonderful. That sounds so great. Others of you in here go, yeah, what does that mean? Your child seems to have a lot of wisdom here. What else did he say? And you know, I think even some people who might understand this passage might still get some ramifications mm, off on this. But what's interesting to note about at least the first Thessalonians passage is it says, give thanks in everything, uh, but not necessarily for everything. If I am thankful for every specific thing, then in some ways that would mean I have to be thankful for people defying God. And so I shouldn't say, Lord, I thank you so much that this person's rebelled against you. I thank you so much that they hurt other people. Instead, though, I could say in the situation, 
Lord, I'm choosing to trust you and be thankful that you are sovereign over this, working what is good and right and perfect. You see a difference between those things? Romans 8 says God works all things together for good. It doesn't say all things are good. That's why he works it all together for good. But some people can still fall short of biblical thanksgiving, even in understanding this point. As you notice, my sermon title somewhere is not back behind me. Um, Steadfast Thanksgiving. God doesn't want us to have a wishy-washy kind of thanksgiving. And I think that a lot of people do have that. We just have some kind of uh, wavering gratitude in our lives. And so we waver in the midst of our circumstances with our gratitude. So, you know, some people with Thanksgiving, they'll be like, oh, Lord, thank you so much for my coffee this morning and my warm bed. And that's so nice. And then something hard happens in the day. Earlier in the day, God was so good. Later in the day, where are you, God? What happened with you? Are you good anymore? Have you ever experienced that in your life? Anybody? Even in a given day? Raise of hands. Okay. I've also heard some people say before, you know, this is what really helps me in my gratitude. I just remind myself that somebody has it worse off than me. And then I think about, what about the person who is worst off? like the worst off, worst off person in the whole wide world. Because if there's always somebody worse off, there's got to be the last person who really is the worst off. Are they, are they then clear and free to not be grateful because they're the worst off? Well, I'm, I'm the worst off. No. That, that type of mentality is just wishy-washy gratitude. It doesn't get us into a steadfast type of thanksgiving. That type of mindset that says, oh, Lord, I'm just, thank you for the coffee or, you know, people have it worse. I'm going to refer to in this sermon as a subjective gratitude. A subjective thanksgiving. And in essence, that type of gratitude just defines, you get to define what is good and pleasing to you. And you will then thank God for those things that you find good and pleasing. And then in the situations that aren't so good and pleasing, you don't have to thank God in the midst of those things. A subjective thanksgiving is dependent upon wavering circumstances and wavering emotions. That's kind of the nature of subjective. There's nothing concrete to it. But it's your emotions and your circumstances. But biblical thanksgiving, true thanksgiving is steadfast. It's firmly rooted in the bedrock of God himself. And because it's rooted in God, it's no surprise then that the Bible is replete with commands on being thankful and that we should be a thankful people. I actually believe that Christians have a superior definition of thanksgiving over anyone else in this world. And I'm not trying to be rude towards everybody else in this world. But what I am saying is that because we know God and have been reconciled to him, not because of us, but because of his pure grace in Christ, then we have an ability to know an eternal, steadfast gratitude that's not based in the shifting sands of our circumstances and emotions. So as we move forward in the sermon today, I hope that we can see that Thanksgiving's source and aim 
is God himself. Thanksgiving's source and aim is God himself. And I know that I'm going through all of this and you're going kind of thinking, who cares? Let's just talk about being thankful, okay? Now we're doing a short series here, three weeks on, on the idea of Thanksgiving. And I want you to think of this sermon like the foundation. Like with any building that you're going to build, you have to have a foundation first or else the rest of the building is not going to be so pretty after a while. It's not going to stay up for a while. Now, when a foundation is put in, I don't know of many people that go, ooh, wow, I love that foundation. It's so pretty, you know? It's not until everything else is built on it. Now, I'm not saying that you should walk away from this sermon saying, oh, this is, that was an ugly sermon, Pastor Timothy. I really wanted to fall asleep. Um, some of you are going to say, yeah, that was so encouraging. Others of you are kind of, kind of, okay, all right. But hopefully you see this as foundational. Because if we miss the foundation, there's going to be other cracks that's going to be exposed in the weeks ahead and just in our life in general. So I pray that God fixes cracks in, the, in our foundation to help us to see how we ought to be thankful from a biblical perspective. So with that understanding, let's pray together. And then we're going to move more into this message. Father, we need you. I thank you for your mercy and grace that you give to us. I thank you that we were able to worship you in singing and in prayer this morning, focusing on the magnificence of Christ. And I pray that his glory would be seen all the more here in our midst. We thank you that your glory and your gospel is proclaimed not only here, but in this area and other places like uh, First Baptist in Holland. And pray for Ben Marks as he's the new pastor there, that you would encourage him and strengthen him and empower him to proclaim the gospel. Thank you that the gospel is proclaimed around the globe. And we even think of the Navarretes, our own missionaries in Mexico, and pray, God, that you would... Provide them strength today to encourage other believers. We pray that even practically that you would provide for them a vehicle that they'd be able to drive around in. And Lord, let them always be reminded of your glory as their supreme end. And so, Father, even as we spend time in your word, we pray that we would be enthralled, convicted, convinced, and more steadfast in who you are for us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, this morning, there's not one specific passage that I'm going to be going through today, although I will refer to 1 Thessalonians at multiple points. What I want to do this morning is show how subjective thanksgiving does not successfully point to God ultimately. And then I want to talk about objective thanksgiving and reveal that it must have God as both its source and its aim. And if you're like confused about the terminology, I'm going to define them again and try to explain but I want to start with the dangers of subjective thanksgiving. Now, again, what I mean by subjective is that it's something that doesn't have a firm basis. It's, it's based in your circumstances and your feelings and your perceptions and definitions, okay? So Thanksgiving is based on circumstances. So like I said earlier, you can have a cer- certain circumstance and you can say, oh, Praise the Lord. He is so good. He is so good. Um, And then, again, later on, another circumstance, and you can say, oh, he is not good. Or even I had a conversation with Louis this morning, and he was talking about what great health he has. You know, Louis, I hope this is okay, but I'm going to give away your age. Louis is in his 80s, okay? 
And he has amazing health. And he was saying, you know, what can I say? The Lord's good. And I'm in my 30s and I have chronic pain. What can I say? The Lord is good, right? The Lord is good to him. The Lord is good to me. But we can't let, hey, the Lord is good to the 80-year-old and he has great health and the Lord's not good to Pastor Timothy because he has chronic pain. That's subjective definition, okay? So subjective thanksgiving affirms your natural tendency for you to think you know what's best. And subjective thanksgiving, I think, is a bondage. I've known many people, myself included, that will evaluate God's love for them on the basis of circumstances. If there's trials, people will tend to think, oh, God's against me. What kind of sin is in my life that I don't even know of that God is punishing me for? You go through hurts and pains and you, you doubt and wonder if God is disciplining you. And all in all, I think the circumstances become your dictator, not God and his word. So you evaluate God's relationship to you on the basis of your interpretation of the circumstances instead of God's interpretation of everything. Now, why does this matter? Because I do believe that God wants us to have a steadfast gratitude. He doesn't want you to be crushed by the conflicting waves in life's sea. Circumstances can go all over the place. And if our mind and heart is driven by those things, we're going to despair. Some days we're going to be up, some days we're going to be down, but more than often we're going to feel down. But even more worrisome than this is that if subjective gratitude is not based in God, then we are guaranteed to drive ourselves further into greater sin, which then would lead to death. So I want to actually look at some Old Testament stories that reveal this. This this concept that subjective gratitude can be a quicksand to a complaining spirit and death. Just go through a few examples. Start with Adam and Eve. You read Genesis 1 and 2 and you know that it's a It's a beautiful world that God has created, a beautiful place that God has placed Adam and Eve in. And there they are in this place. God has given them to eat from all these trees in the garden, except for one. And then this crafty serpent shows up and pinpoints the one thing they can't have. Can you really, you can't eat this? Well, no. And then not only that, but the serpent then is saying, well, but you don't know what you're missing out on. If you were to eat from this, you would be like God and you would know the difference between good and evil. So what the serpent is tempting Eve with is this desire to be at the level of God. And in the heart of Eve, the question is essentially, do I want to stay submissive to God and have this? Or I could take this and be at the level of God. Her heart is not in a place of worship, right? Because worship would say, I know the supreme value of God. And she's not acknowledging the supreme value of God. Instead, she's looking to herself and wanting to elevate herself. And she has, in a sense, the serpent has tempted her to have a ungrateful heart. And so she takes the fruit. And what happens? She's punished. Not only she, Adam, who was with her, took the fruit. Humanity falls, and you have death for all because of this. It's a quicksand to a complaining spirit and death. 
Well, then this type of scenario is played out in full color HD when you look at the nation of Israel coming out of Egypt. Very clear. When you have God rescuing the Israelites out of Egypt and then they plunder Egypt and are, woohoo, yeah, praise the Lord, he is so good. And then they get to the Red Sea and they go, why did you bring us out here? We're going to die. And then God parts the waters and they make it through. And then the Egyptian army is covered in the water. Woohoo, yeah, God is so awesome. He's so great. Where's our food? God feeds them manna. What is it? Oh, we'll just call it what is it? And that's what we're going to eat. So they eat it. And then, you know, praise the Lord. He provides for us. It's just so good. And after a while, where's our meat? I haven't had meat for a long time. Can I just have meat? God gives them meat. But then God punishes them, some of them. Some die because of their complaining, grumbling spirit. And then they go out, they go to another place. Oh, this water tastes gross. Give us some fresh water. They go from grumbling to rejoicing, to grumbling, to rejoicing, to praising God, to grumbling. Their gratitude is entirely based on circumstances. Their gratitude is anchored in their circumstances and what they can get. And then we get to a third situation when it comes to the kings and God bringing about kings in Israel. We're told that the people wanted, wanted to be like the other nations, so they complained to the prophet Samuel to give us a king. Samuel's grieved. And then God responds to Samuel by saying this, They have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds that they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods so that they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice. Only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. God has done all for them. And God says, they've continually rejected me. Since bringing them out of Egypt, this habit continues. Yay, God, where are you, God? Yay, God, what are you doing to us? Do these people really want God? Are they really grateful for God? You should be shaking your heads no. No. They really just want their stuff. They want things the way they want it. But God says to Samuel, so give them a king. God gives them what they want. And then God says, and tell them it's not going to be as pleasurable as they think it's going to be. And the first king they get is Saul. Now, it's because of stories like these that the Apostle Paul warns Christians. And he says this, We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Why were these stories written down in the Old Testament? For our what? Instruction. It's for us to learn from these stories. And so Paul says to us who are Christians, don't grumble. 
Don't, don't complain. Don't be like these people. Don't base your life on circumstances and then miss God who is overall. Because actually the verses are going to go down later and say, flee idolatry. Flee false worship and worship God. Don't miss God in the midst of your gratitude. Don't miss God. Now, some of you could say, but hold on a second. Aren't we supposed to thank God for life circumstances, how God has worked in our lives? Should we praise God for the way that he's ordained events and given us good gifts? What do you think? Yes, absolutely. I'm not against saying thank you, Lord, even for my coffee, okay? I'm not against that, but I have a concern. My question is whether or not we're praising God as God for those circumstances or if we're praising God simply because he's given us what we like or prefer and therefore we're not treating God as God, we're treating God as genie. So I love genie God, but I don't love Yahweh God. Does that understand that? Um, I think of it like this. Maybe this will be helpful for some of you. I grew up in a home that for birthdays, holidays, um, we would go to Hallmark in our town. We had a nice little Hallmark store and we would try to find cards for each other. And we were the family who would try to find the cards that would get that tear factory going, you know. Uh, it was really funny. When Tracy and I got married, she's like, oh my land, we try to find the funniest ones. So we were, you know, very opposite um, in that. But we try to get those, the, the tear cards. And, it, and even as a preteen and teenager, I would spend a good length of time to be like, where's that perfect card? You know, and if I started to get the tears, like, there it is, there it is. We're going with this one, right? Now today, I don't, I really don't uh, do that as much because I honestly think it's harder to find those cards today than it was back then. A lot of the cards today, it's not just that they're humorous, but so many of the cards I feel are self-centered, self-focused. It's like, I don't know how it's worded, you know, but it's like, mom, you make my bed. Mom, you give me clothes. Mom, you feed me. I love you so much because you do all these things for me, mom. And, and I'm like, Will I still love my mom if she doesn't make my bed, give me clothes, and feed me every day? I sure hope so. She doesn't do that now, men, adults. Hopefully she doesn't do that for you now, right? But do I love mom because of mom, you know, the character and the nature of who she is? Now, her character and nature is revealed in what she does, and the same thing is true with God. But our, our question is, is do we love God as God? Or do we love him as genie, right? So why are we giving thanks to him? So let me ask one more question. Do you think that someone can be grateful and in awe of God that he is the creator and sustainer of all things and still miss God? Don't, don't shake your heads yet. Do you think that someone can be in awe of God and grateful to God as the creator and sustainer and still miss God? I say yes. And I, I think of the story 
of the Pharisee who goes into the temple and he says, God, I thank you. I thank you that I have this in my life and I have this in my life. I thank you that this isn't in my life and that's not in my life. I thank you that I'm not like even that man over there. I thank you, God. Now, I've said this before and I need to say it again here just for the sake of those who haven't remembered or haven't heard me say this before, but I think that many people read in some type of uh, piousness within that man in, in terms of his tone that probably isn't there given the illustration that Jesus is giving. So we, we kind of read in that this man is off there praying going, Lord, I thank you. I thank you so much. I'm not like that piece of trash over there, you know? It was Matthew Henry was uh, the Puritan at one point in time that he, he, in his commentary, essentially says, if you read the things that the man is thankful for, you would be thankful for those things too. Thank you that I'm not in these overt sinful behaviors. Thank you for this. Thank you for this. And yet in Jesus' illustration, he says that man walks away not justified meaning he's not forgiven and declared righteous in God's sight. It's the man who simply says, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you say, wait a second, why? How, he was, this guy was thankful. How did he miss God? Because what he did is that he looked and acknowledged God wrought works in his life. And yet he looked to the God wrought works for his standing before God. He looked to those things as, I'm thankful for these things. And they didn't lead him or he didn't take the intention to then actually praise God and say, but you are my founding. You are my steadfastness. Man, you, you can thank God for all sorts of things and miss God completely. So we got to think about what this objective thanksgiving is. Objective thanksgiving has God as its source and its aim. Now, objective means that there's an object that we're looking to, something that is real and definable and steadfast. And I would say the only true rock in all of life is God himself. He is the objective standard of everything. So that's why I'm saying objective thanksgiving has God as its source and its aim. When God is the point, then everything comes together. So we have Psalms that praise God for his character and nature. Psalm 63, 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Psalm 69, 30 says, I will praise the name of God with a song and I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Psalm 95, 2 says, let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Psalm 104, 33, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Give thanks. Praise God. Be saturated with thanksgiving to God himself. But I want to highlight this verse here, that second line, I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This is the intent of gratitude. Now, what does it mean to magnify him? There, there's two essentially basic types of magnifying glasses. You have the one magnifying glass that takes very tiny things 
and you look through and it makes them look what? Big. And then you have another type of magnifying glass that's a telescope. And does a telescope make Jupiter big? Does it? That's not a trick question. Obvious, okay? Does not make Jupiter big. What it does is it helps us to see more of the size and magnitude of Jupiter, right? That's what this word magnify means. That the psalmist's intent is that when he gives thanks, that he wants to show just how big and great and glorious and magnificent God is. I will magnify God with my thanksgiving. I want to show other believers, I want to show the world around me that God, God is the point. And he is magnificent. So, that's what I mean by objective thanksgiving. The source is God, and the aim is God. So how does this affect us practically? A couple of weeks ago, Tracy and I went on a getaway for a few nights up in the Traverse City area, and I reached out to a couple of friends and just asked them, please pray for this time as we're away, that it would be restful, that it would be rejuvenating, that it would be um, an encouraging time together. And I texted one of my friends, and, and he responded this way in his text, I will be praying, friend. Enjoy the time in light of this truth. God owes you nothing, not even rest. So I pray you get rest and praise him for it. And some of you could say, well, that's rude, you know? I mean, you pray that God would give you rest. And you know God doesn't owe you rest, but I mean, uh, you need rest, you know? But here, this friend says, just, just live in light of that reality. God doesn't owe you anything, not even rest. And I'll tell you what, obviously, even to this point, we haven't forgot. And I mentioned that to Tracy while we were gone, and it was amazing how it actually transformed our experience. I mean, when we experienced things that we liked and that we enjoyed, we're like, God didn't owe us any of this. What a gracious God that he is. And then when we experienced things that we might have said, oh, I could have changed that if it were up to me, we were still saying, praise the Lord that he is a gracious and kind God, and he chose to do this. We deserve hell. And God has given us so much. And we can learn through all of it. Praise God. All of a sudden, his kindnesses actually did what Romans said it ought to do. They're meant to lead you to repentance. They're meant to lead you to embrace God more. Objective gratitude focuses on God. Its seedbed is in him and focuses upward to him. Now, again, I want to emphasize, don't hear me saying that objective gratitude ignores this life and ignores this world. It doesn't. I actually think that when we have a gratitude in God, we can actually enjoy the things of this world rightly instead of idolizing the things. That we can recognize the gift as a gift and not a God. And we can praise God in everything. Even if there's circumstances that are painful, difficult, and sinful. Now some of you could say, how? How can I praise God like that? I could never, I could never praise God for, and you list a circumstance in your past, or if something were to happen in the future. Have you ever had a thought in your head, if this thing were to happen to me, 
I don't know if I could praise God. Now listen, apart from the grace and mercy of God, we could not praise him in all things. It's his superior grace that enables us and empowers us to praise him. But as I think through this objective gratitude, I think the greatest example and hope that we have is in Jesus Christ himself. I mean, I think through the night before Jesus' death, and Jesus is with his disciples, and they're participating in the Passover meal that's transformed into a new covenant practice of the Lord's Supper. And in that Lord's Supper, we're told that Jesus, and this, this gets me, that Jesus gives thanks. Gives thanks. That's why, by the way, that Greek word for gives thanks is uh, eucharisteo, which is why some denominations will say eucharist, because it means to give thanks. We are giving thanks. How? How could Jesus give thanks? And by the way, when we celebrate communion, there's a giving of thanks, isn't there? I mean, we have joy and rejoicing when there is communion together. And our joy is even strengthened when we come across the words that Jesus gives thanks for the sacrifices he's going to take part in and give himself of. When we know he's thankful, our gratitude increases, right? So Jesus gives thanks. Now, by the way, does that mean that Jesus was saying, yay, Judas, you should do this? No, because he says, woe to this one who's going to betray Does this mean Jesus is saying, yes, the Roman soldiers are absolutely right in tearing my flesh? No. Hebrew says Jesus despised the shame of the cross. Yet for the joy set before him, he endured it. He could still have gratitude because he could trust the Father who works all things together for good. Now, that is is a gratitude that's anchored in the heavens. And that's the type of gratitude that God is at work doing in his children. If you have trusted in Christ, you've turned from your sins and turned to Jesus for rescue, this is part of the rescuing work of God to anchor your thanksgiving there and to be able to give thanks in all circumstances because God promises that he will make every circumstance subservient to his good purposes for you. Even if you don't understand. Even if you don't see. The Old Testament is written as an example. How many people in the Old Testament saw the fullness of all of the promises? And yet, God fulfilled his promises to them. And so when we get into the New Testament... We hear how we're encouraged to continue to give thanks. We have, well, let me go to a different passage. Philippians 4, 6. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Do you know the next two words? With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Which is very interesting because he says you still have anxieties and burdens. So you pray about those things and be thankful. You have it together in our prayers. 
You have Colossians 2, 6-7. Therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. This, this is the objective gratitude. Who's the foundation of our life as a Christian? It's Jesus. And we grow in Christ. And because of him, we can abound in thanksgiving. This is what shaped the Apostle Paul. Imprisoned, beaten, tortured, unloved by many people. Many people even within the churches that he helped to plant. And he wasn't thanking God that people sinned against him. He praised God for God and his ways. Or I think of the Apostle Peter when he was um, reprimanded by the religious leaders. And he goes back to the church and he says, God, we praise God that he counts us worthy to suffer for Christ. They just had a completely different perspective. Because God changes everything, doesn't he? The Apostle Paul could say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I mean, you just, you just think about how the Roman government could have related to him. They're like, all right, we're going to persecute you. Praise the Lord. Okay, we're not going to persecute you. Praise the Lord. You keep praising the Lord, right? Because my life is founded in him. Now, I think as we hear this, there's at least two potential questions that can come to people's minds. The first being, being one that we've already, I've already commented on, but want to comment a little bit more, and that's, what about my painful circumstances? And the second one is, what if I don't want to give thanks to God? Now, I want to comment on that first one again, because this, this can be so difficult for people who've gone through trauma and pains. How can I give thanks in all circumstances. And there's much more conversation and more sensitivity and relationship to work through that. But as I said earlier, being thankful doesn't mean you sweep everything under the rug. Last week's fighter passage was cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. It doesn't say cast your burden on the Lord and the burden is magically going to disappear. It says God will sustain you in the burden. God designs for us to take our pains and our laments even to him, our sorrows to him. And I find that to be tremendously encouraging. God calls us to sorrow at his throne. Something that has more profoundly impacted me or influenced me in my Bible reading recently is that aspect of the complaining spirit of of Israel. In contrast, or in comparison with Moses. When Israel complains, they are punished. But do you know that Moses complains at certain times and he's not punished? And the only seemingly difference is, is when Moses complains, he turns it into prayer. And when his complaints are turned to prayer, God does not punish him. But the one time that Moses didn't turn his complaints to prayer, he's punished. Because he didn't turn into prayer. Sometimes some of us think, no, I can't, I can't lay those, those complaints to God because then that's not going to be spiritual. No, that's what we must do. In our sorrows and in our questions, and we say, what about this painful circumstance? I don't get it. Pray that to God. Lay that at his feet. Wrestle with him. The name Israel means wrestles with God. 
God wants us to come to him in this relationship of lament and weeping, but also knowing he will sustain us. Job is a wondrous example with all that he lost. And then Job says in that second chapter, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then the writer says, and he never accused God of doing wrong. But you know what? You could actually look at that text and you could say, no, 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 Job. The Lord didn't take away. Who took away? Satan. And yet Job says, if I live just thinking about Satan and what he can do, I'm losing it. There is a God who is over all. And my hope and my gratitude is anchored in him. So the Lord gives, the Lord takes away in his sovereignty, and blessed be his name. I don't know how it's all working together. Job didn't know the eternal counsel and what was taking place, but he did know who God is. And we who are Christians know who our God is. We know we have a good and gracious and kind Savior who suffered for us and experienced the wrath of God for myriads of sinners on himself. Is Jesus worthy to be trusted? He suffered more. He suffered most in order to rescue his own. That affects our lives. I was reminded of a woman by the name of Corey Tenboon. And maybe many of you know who she is, but her family helped to rescue Jews during uh, Nazi Germany time. And she was eventually with her sister and taken to a concentration camp. One time in this concentration camp, she, with some other Christians, had their own version of communion together. I mean, they didn't have the grape juice, so they had water but they secretively participated in communion. And some of you could say, how in the world would you praise God when you're being starved to death and tortured, literally? And yet there they are in the darkness of that room. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. You've given us everything. Blessed be the name of the Lord, confident because he's our redeemer. Now, that second question, I'm just going to comment on briefly. Some people say, no, I will not praise God. One thing I discovered this past week and was reminded of is that those who don't give thanks with a steadfast gratitude will forever be apart from God. Isaiah 38:18, Sheol does not thank you. Death does not praise you. Those who go down to the pit do not hope for your faithfulness. Romans 1 says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. There are plenty of people who are grateful from worldly standards. I mean, even in our culture today, a lot of people, you can find tons of books saying, be grateful, it's good for your health. God has given a common grace in that. But just being thankful for stuff doesn't go far enough. If, we, if you refuse to trust God and refuse to be grateful to God in everything, 
you are either not a true believer or you're missing out on the ramifications of the gospel. God has promised to grow you in steadfast gratitude. And in that steadfast gratitude, in the big and small of life, our joy can increase because our confidence in God and who he is. So let me challenge you this week. This week, maybe write out something on a, on a post-it note and put it in multiple places. Gratitude in God. Something to remind you of this. You, we have our phones that can remind us of everything. Why not put that as a reminder? To abound in thanksgiving because of who God is. Ponder it. With, with whatever circumstances you're struggling with, wrestle with God this week. Involve another believer to come alongside of you and say, help me to see more clearly. But one of my favorite songs, and it's a simple one, was written by a man named Rich Mullins who had battled multiple issues severely. But it was a song that says, sing your praise to the Lord. And simple chorus, sing your praise to the Lord. Come on, everybody. Stand up and sing one more hallelujah. Sing your praise to the Lord. I can never tell you just how much good that it's going to do for you to sing your praises to the Lord. He's right. Because the scriptures are right. And God is worthy. So our hope is found in God. As we praise him, we defy painful circumstances by saying God is in control and he is good. When we praise him in the calm and the good circumstances, biblical gratitude reminds us of our good and gracious God. Therefore, let's rejoice with steadfast thanksgiving. And let's pray. Father, thank you for your mercies that are new every morning. Thank you for who you are. And that in pain or pleasure, you are good. And that you have promised glorious things to your children. Lord, we thank you that your word even tells us that you store our tears in a bottle and that someday the trials of this present life will not be worth comparing to the glories that are going to be revealed to us. So we thank you, Lord, and I pray that we would thank you more and more in faith in who Jesus is. I ask that you would work in us for the glory of his name. Amen. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Amen.